Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Outside the Arena with Mac and Griff. I'm Griffin Senek, joined by my co-host Mac Rommel, and today we are very happy to welcome our first ever guest on the show. A graduate from Indiana State University, he is currently the lead radio play-by-play voice for the Toronto Blue Jays, the amazing Ben Wagner. Ben, how are you today? Doing really well, really well. I feel like I need kind of like a, a shortened name. So if you want to have Matt Griff, refer to me as Wags. Wags, okay. That works. Yeah, That's awesome. All right, so we're going to get right into this. So we know you started your career young. You got your first job at 17, 17 years old. And so everyone starts off, they want to be a broadcaster just a matter of when. So when was the first point in your life when you knew you wanted to pursue broadcasting as a career? Uh, if you ask my mom, she'll probably tell you when I was still in the cradle because as a child, I never stopped running my mouth. Um, <laughs> now, I will argue that it was probably somewhere around 14 or 15 that I fell in love with sports on the radio, sports on television, and how it was starting to connect with me. And then I got bit by the bug at 16 years old when Jason Samuel at WAWC brought me into the radio station and I got to shadow him at live events and also be in the studio and started to do different things from um, even from an operational standpoint to actually going to live events, covering high school basketball and football. So that's where it really took off for me guys uh, was as a, as a pretty young, pretty young fledgling broadcaster, I guess you would say. Um, but, but, but from that moment on, I mean, it was no looking back. That's great. Was anything specifically from those times attractive to you that made you like, this was it, this is what you wanted to be? Yeah, I think, I think all of it, (laughs) Um, because it was about the process for me. And if you look at the individual sports, you prepare for them each differently. But the first real opportunity that I got in any sort of like, um, like regular opportunity was for high school football. You know, so we were calling coaches and arranging interviews for players, administrators, coaches on Mondays and Tuesdays. And then it was like really diving in to prep charts and gathering whatever information from local newspapers or again, talking with people on Wednesday and Thursday. And then all of a sudden, here it is, like you build momentum to this broadcast on Friday and uh, you're finishing prep charts and getting all your notes in line. And then you're going to the field. Um, There are no stadiums in that phase of my life, but uh, you're going to the football field or or basketball game. And, you know, you're trying to get in there early enough where you can find the phone line, run phone cord, uh, (laughs) have everything set up and test the line with the radio station because all this was before, you know, Wi-Fi and apps and all this stuff. Um, I don't feel old, but I guess looking back now, it's, it's almost been 25 years. Um, but but all that stuff, you know, has, has really given me the background for an appreciation to the process. And, and also now, with many things that are afforded to me with resources, I, I really respect those people that are part of the process behind the scenes, too. Yeah, no, for sure. That's, I think that, the, like, from what we've heard, at least, like, preparation is just, like, everything in this business. Like, it's just, it just seems like that's, like, the number one thing. I don't know, like... I don't know what you would say about that. But. Preparation and relationships, without a doubt, will carry you further than any deep dive research project, you know, by scouring articles online. They're all great. 
They're all very helpful. Um, but you will find out more on a one-on-one -on -one conversation at the batting cage than you ever will, you know, doing a, doing a crazy uh, Google search on, on a player or a coach or whatever, uh, because they're living in that moment. The stuff that you find out in those conversations is usually timely and very relevant to what is going on within that player's day, week, uh, hot streak of a month, or for that team, you know, the current run that they're on, good, bad, ugly, um, you know, with the successes uh, and, and what makes them successful too. So after high school, you went to uh, Indiana State and you, you continued broadcasting there, correct? You worked for a, a radio station there, I believe, right? Some would argue I did more broadcasting than attend class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what would you say, like, if there was, like, a moment or, like, a specific mentor you had in college, like, what do you think, is there a specific, like, like I guess, like, a specific person or piece of advice you received in college that helped you most from there on out? Uh, yeah, you know, there, first off, um, going back to even WAWC, Jason Samuel specifically challenged me to choose a college university where you would have an immediate opportunity. If you, if you checked out, okay, if you would have an immediate opportunity as soon as possible to get on the air and do broadcast. And um, that's the main reason that I chose Indiana state. There are great communication programs all across the country. I looked at them. I thought, you know, this would be great for this, that, and the other. But Indiana State, in my original visit as a senior in high school, told me from the moment that I walk onto this campus, from day one, I will be able to do more. And how much more is up to me from that moment on. Uh, you, you know, I felt confident and, and probably too cocky as a 17, 18-year-old kid uh, walking in with already a, an air check that I had done actual games on radio and not, you know, hovering on the top row of a bleacher somewhere uh, and done my own air check tape. But, you know, I had football and basketball experience being live on the, on the radio, and uh, I was way ahead of most freshmen stepping in. So that kind of pushed me towards Indiana State. The conversations with people at Indiana State sealed the deal for me, where I knew I could walk in and I could have a really good shot at being part of high school football, Indiana State football, um, you know, then, then quickly moving into basketball season. And I was really fortunate in that time too, because college basketball around Terre Haute was really good. The Hoosiers were still pretty good. Um, Indiana state obviously was a little bit on the rise and I covered two NCAA tournaments with them. The women's basketball team was really good. Um, you, you know, so I was fortunate in that regard that uh, it kept feeding the beast within me because I was able to cover really good athletes and, and successful seasons that coupled with the fact, you know, I had instructors that, that bottom line, they said, you learn by doing. So the more you do, the better off you're going to be. And the goal here of this three or four or five year window for, for undergraduates is to leave campus with a solid background in education, uh, a reel that they can be proud of, whether it's TV or radio, and to hone those skills so you're comfortable with the sound, so you're presenting yourself you know, at the earliest stage in, in your career. And that learn by more or learn by doing uh, really pushed me to do more and do more at the 
the college radio station, to look at other opportunities within the university radio network and to try to work in local radio and television while I was there too. So um, Jason Samuel, you know, was kind of the guy that taught me how to cut my teeth. And when I got to Terre Haute, Dave Sabini, who was in charge of the radio station on campus, Brian Fritz, who was a very, I think he was like in his second or third year running the radio network, uh, or as the voice of the Sycamores, you know, gave, gave me and a couple other students the opportunity to work really closely with him on football and basketball. And then the guys at the radio station too, you become your own, your own healthy competition, kind of like a player fighting for that last spot on the roster in spring training, you know, where you drive each other. So Rich Lidstrom, who was an upperclassman, I, I gravitated to right away. Uh, Chad Smith was another freshman, you know, where we, where we were on campus, I think within the first week or 10 days, we were working together as freshmen doing a, a high school football game uh, that Friday night. So it was, it was definitely those guys, you know, that provided the push and also, you know, a real big, big incentive to keep the grind going for three or four years. So you were saying how that you wanted to go to Indiana State. You liked how you would have hands-on experience right away. Was that the main focus when you chose there, or did you like the education part of it as well? Um, that's the main focus. <laughs> uh, you, you know, I, I know people bristle or, you know, people would get a little offended by that, depending on how they, you know, value whatever it is. But I, I had a really clear picture of what I thought would be the best just because of the influences that I had and the people that I were talking to. And at that time too, I was starting to network with people in Indianapolis and people that I became, uh, you know, big fans of in, in overall broadcasting. And I was researching how they were doing their process and, and, and it validated everything that I had kind of conjured up in my own mind of, about going through preparation and trying to, trying to get to where I wanted to be and where I wanted to be was a really good broadcaster at a really young age and, and then try to take that first step forward. Um, whether I was a freshman on campus or walking out as a senior, you know, um, all those things. And that process, that process for me became very, very important. So, uh, you know, the ability to be around coaches, administrators and student athletes when you're in college is, is, is really important. Yeah. Um, out of college now, uh, some of your earlier, like, bigger jobs, I guess you could say, was in minor league baseball. So what steps did you take, and, like, how did you end up getting those jobs? Like, what did you do to interview for that? What did you do to prepare for those jobs? Stuff like that. Yeah, it's funny how it's all connected because uh, it boils down to relationships. And networking is a big part of it, too. And, and honestly – in broadcasting, you hope the cream rises to the top in a lot of cases, and you get jobs you earn, bottom line. So, um, you know, in that, those first couple of years, I was trying to do everything from volleyball to softball to, um, you know, the, the biggies, obviously, with basketball and football, sure, but also, you know, networking within the community. And then my sophomore year, Indiana State became the flagship of our baseball team. That was a huge step forward because it put me around an individual ball club in bigger pockets of time. And in college, when campuses clear out in early to mid-May, well, there's spring sports that continue, and baseball was one of them. So, you know, half of our student radio station packed their suitcase and headed back home 
somebody had to cover these games. So I, I eagerly raised my hand and I said, yeah, I'll do another 20 broadcast. Sure. And then that's where um, that sophomore, that sophomore summer was a really big kind of leaping point for me because uh, I was around a club, around coaches. They made me feel incredibly welcome. And they, they gave me a lot of belief into how I was conducting myself too on both the professional front, but also kind of that like relaxed nature that you can fall in love with, with baseball. And then you started to get some feedback from, from my end at least, um, you know, parents and family members that would come up to the top of the bleachers where the press box was situated at Sycamore Field at that time, or you'd see them on the road and, you know, they'd, they'd wave at you and say, you know, hey, great job last weekend, or couldn't get to the game at uh, Xavier, had to listen online, did a great job. So, you know, those moments of reinforcement, when you're coming, to, when you're coming up with people that your main audience is going to be friends and family and friends and family only, or a cat, a dog, a cow, if somebody leaves the radio on in the background, that validation is really, really important. And it was extremely important for me uh, because it gave me that courage and gave me a lot of uh, momentum, you know, to keep going. So putting together a reel, you know, those last couple of years where I thought I was comfortable with my sound and had a really good working knowledge of what was happening. Uh, that was really important. And then I started to think about, all right, what are we going to do? Uh, from, a, from a broadcast perspective, what's the next step? Can you go into local radio, television? Do you want to try to work your way up market by market size that way? And uh, I, I had long conversations with professors and other people in the business, and they said, you know, the baseball winter meetings is a really good stepping stone for people that want to find out what they can do on air. You get a chance to get in there, talk with teams. You may have a, you may have an opportunity to work in your backyard. You may have an opportunity to see other parts of the country, depending on if you can land a job. Okay, this baseball thing sounds great. So what do I do? And uh, one of the professors said, you know what? A couple of years ago, this guy named Dave Wilson went to the baseball winter meetings and he got a job. You should call him. At the time, Dave Wilson was the broadcaster with Lake County, a brand new franchise in North Central Ohio with the Indians. And I called him and eagerly said, hey, I'm Ben Wagner. Uh, I heard you got a job. I want to do the same thing. What do I need to do? And Dave said, all right, you got to put your research shoes on. And he said, in the lower levels of minor league baseball, there are traditionally jobs that open up annually. You need one of those jobs because you're not going to walk into Memphis or Louisville or Buffalo or wherever and be the number one guy. You may be the number two guy in a small sample size, and I don't want to knock anybody that lands a huge job, right? I don't want to, I'm not knocking the process whatsoever, but uh, here are steps that work for him, and here's kind of the roadmap that he had. Maybe I should try the same way. Okay, well, baseball winter meetings at that time were going to be in New Orleans, and I had done my research and made some calls to lower level New York Penn League teams and uh, a handful of teams like Billings, Montana, Salem, Winston-Salem in uh, North Carolina, um, found out some other job opportunities. And one job that uh, Neil Solantz was in charge of was at Lakewood with the Blue Claws. And they annually, because of this process, brought in young people to be assistants. And in his case, media, public relations, and broadcast assistants. 
And with the onus of you get in in January, you learn a ton about media relations, you work your ass off in a number of different ways, uh, and you get a really well-rounded experience about the business side of minor league baseball and baseball in general. Plus then you get an opportunity for 70-ish games to call three or four innings a night. And then that could be another stepping stone launching pad for you to walk out with a reel. All right, cool. Uh, so a buddy and, and me got in a car and we drove the 12 or 14 hours down to New Orleans. Uh, Dave Sabini said, when you go down there, if you're fortunate enough to get interviews, uh, make sure you take a tape. And at the time it was CD. So I had advanced in my process and technology. Take a CD and take, you know, resumes. All right, that's cool. Now, how many do I take? And he goes, take 10. I'm like, 10? You know, you, you expect to work the room and pass out dozens or hundreds perhaps of these tapes and resumes. He goes, there's not going to be that many jobs, Ben. You know, you just, you got to look at the big picture here. There's not that many jobs. So don't bog yourself down with lugging around 50 CDs in, uh, in your, your shoulder bag or your backpack. Um, so, so I didn't take 10, I probably took 20, you know, and I thought maybe, you know, maybe I'd, I'd run into somebody famous and I could slip them one at the same time. And the baseball winter meetings are just like you see on all the networks, MLB Network, uh, ESPN, as it's broadcast out right now. I mean, literally everybody in the game is there. The sexy talking points, of course, are the big agents, uh, the GMs, the managers, the, the power free agents that are there working the rooms and doing interviews, sure. But literally, Every team in minor league baseball will send a representative. Minor league baseball is there. Major league baseball is there. And, uh, you know, you just hope that you can get a face-to-face -face meeting. And I got a chance to sit down and do a couple of interviews and, and then got an opportunity to, to get a tap on the shoulder and go to Lakewood. That's great. Yeah. You also, then you were with the Bisons for 11 years. So why 11 years? Did you want to? Stayed there for 11 years or did you just not have the opportunity? Uh, no, I didn't want to stay there for 11 years. I, you know, and, and look at, look at the process, right? I, um, again, I was, I was fortunate to leave college with a really well-rounded resume and reel that got me a job in professional baseball. Check one on the box of accomplishments and career goals. Um, you know, and timing is, timing is going to be so huge in so many decisions and, and steps that you take and doors that open for you along the way. Neil, while he was interviewing me in Lakewood at the same time was interviewing for a triple A job in Durham, North Carolina. And we left, we left, uh, I actually got the job offered to me when we were in New Orleans for Lakewood. Neil got the job offered to him from Durham, like maybe right before Christmas, you know, so maybe 10 days later. And he calls me and he said, you know, you got to be ready because I'm going to Durham first week of January. So like Neil and I, the guy that hired me, were together for a handful of days, right? So that's another opportunity. And in that time that it took for them to make a decision and hire another broadcaster with sales experience and all these factors in, right? Like what are the other specialties besides figuring out how to set up the radio equipment and call nine innings? They, they become very important at the minor league level because you have to wear so many hats. In Lakewood, and I said to my boss at the time, I said, you know, I'd really like to apply for this job and talk more about it, you know, to see what I could do. And they said, we really need somebody with sales experience for a full-time position. Okay, that's fine. Um, so I worked hand-in-hand -hand with, with Brett Pollock for almost the entirety of that year, 
um, Brett was, I think he took the job from Texas and then he came back. He's a Philly guy. Um, so he got back East and he had another opportunity to pursue. So he, he left Lakewood after one year. Uh, and he was, you know what, he was really honest with me and fortunate to set me up in a great position because before he left, he told the organization in let's say August. So, and he told me, you know, it wasn't going to be a long-term thing for him. Okay. So I was like, you know, do what you can in these, in these two, three weeks and then force the organization to make a decision with you involved. And so that was a huge thing. And I thought, all right, now I'm going to stay in New Jersey. And then after my first full year in New Jersey, first opportunity interview with the AAA team. Uh, and, you know, a million moving pieces behind the scenes and none of these job processes work as fast as you want them to. Uh, and that didn't work out for me and that opportunity, but it gave me more, more energy, more enthusiasm than what we were doing was paying off and working out, you know, for my broadcast career goals. And then after my second year in, in Lakewood, uh, another late job hire by Cleveland when they took Jim Rosenhaus from Buffalo, that opened the door for me. And um, much like any job that anybody applies for, you got to send your information out. The people in Buffalo got it. We did a couple of phone interviews and then I went to Buffalo and went met one-on-one -on -one for a day, fly in, fly out. And, you know, your head's spinning and you're thinking, oh my God, you know, here it is a great opportunity to move to a great market, have an awesome job uh, with an organization that completely cares about how they do things at a big league level. And so, you know, that led to this other step right now, that, that thrust me into this Buffalo thing. Whoa. Okay. Uh, let's figure out where the copy room is and what to do now at this higher level and, and what I'm going to sign sound like now and, and work with this station and a couple of years after that, I got an opportunity to, um, to interview with the Dodgers. And that was a life-changing, but uh, very adrenaline-giving opportunity for me. I mean, just pump more of that into my veins. And that was right before 2009, where I went out, I auditioned. Uh, it could have been a TV slash radio job, multi multimedia job, and, um, you know, didn't work out, obviously, uh, but you know it, it continued to give me encouragement and uh, the will to drive. And there were other opportunities, you know, that came up, and I was a finalist for a handful of other opportunities, and they never they never broke in my fashion. Um, guys that got jobs that I was really close to, I was elated that they got the opportunity because they were in the same process as me. And you know, there are some times where you become really frustrated, and it. And it hurts, man. It hurts when you think that you've done everything you can to land these jobs and you just fall a little bit short, whether it was your own doing or not. Sometimes, you know, however, an organization plans for different roles, they think people are best suited or they're worried about you in a, in a lower profile job leaving after a couple of years and they don't want to go through this again. So whatever, nothing worked out in my favor until I hit the lottery with Toronto. Yeah, so kind of adding on, I guess, to the Toronto thing, like what, when you found out that, you know, Jerry Howarth was retiring and that you were going to be the guy that was going to be the lead play-by-play -play radio guy for the Blue Jays, like what was going through your mind? Like, like just describe like how you felt really. I, I can't describe I it. It's indescribable. It really is. It, it's, it's every emotion um, from 
the the oh boy here we go to the you, you know sense of accomplishment for a process that you dedicated so many miles in buses and nights away from friends and family and sacrificed so many birthdays and weddings and other celebrations that you had to miss out because you were you know lugging equipment up the stairs in Hagerstown Maryland or on an overnight bus ride to Lexington or you know a wake up call at 3:30 in Georgia to get the bus to the airport to get a flight back to Buffalo and do a broadcast that night you know and you're just you're just exhausted you know after doing some of these things um, so that sense of accomplishment for myself, uh, my family, uh, the, the, the support network from my wife to my mom, my dad, you know, the people that were believing in me, rung by rung, frustration by frustration, from satisfaction to satisfaction. It was an incredibly humbling moment, but it was really overwhelming emotionally for, for me, obviously, sure. Uh, but for the people that have been there since, you know, that if I first put the headset on as a 16-year-old to, you know, you know, the learning experiences that we had at Indiana State along the way, too, was, was really, really uh, pretty incredible. And not lost on me either until the moment where, you know, uh, Mike Wilner, who I work with, was filming the, the moment on the first pitch in 2018 and um, where it it kind of set in the gravity of the moment in the job kind of set in at that time where there would only be three first pitches called by broadcasters. Tom cheek was the first at Rogers center. Jerry Howarth was next. And then there's this guy uh, that got an opportunity to say, welcome to opening day. And here's the first pitch of your new season. Um, you know, so that was, that was really cool. Opening day was an incredible experience. And um, you know, opening day for me is always special regardless of the circumstances in the world, just like coming up for me in this year, as crazy as it is and uncertain, uh, opening day is just a moment and a day that I just enjoy from start to finish. So, uh, you know, Jerry, Jerry retiring was a shock to everybody. Jerry is a legend. People that say they miss Tom and Jerry or they miss Jerry on the radio. Hell, I miss Jerry on the radio. <laughs> I mean, I loved tuning into Jerry Howard's broadcast, the stories and, and how, he, how he dedicated himself to his own processes to drum up all this background information and the relationships that he had with people uh, was one really, was really an education in its own right for me since knowing him in 2000, well, actually 2012, first time we met, but really listening with a, with a passionate ear from 2013 on because he was so locked into the players, the coaches, the organization and their, their decisions and how it affected me in Buffalo. So that was really, that was a really, really awesome time in my life. That's great. I like how you said how it was stressful for not just you, but your, your family, friends and everyone. So, yeah, yeah it was really stressful. Remember that uh, I went to spring training with a one-way ticket in this scenario. And it's not like I interviewed, was given the job, and then all of a sudden we were here. Jerry, you know, Jerry, because of health concerns, decided to retire right before spring training started. So the Blue Jays had to get broadcast on the radio. They weren't sure with what direction they were going to be. I knew that I had the ability to go down there and be part of the conversation. And then um, I said, get me down there. I'm, I'm happy to help out. However, if I win the job, I'm happy to do it. Uh, so stress is one great way to put it um, for all those involved. Yeah. So it's, you've been with the Blue Jays now. So how's that experience been like for your family and you? 
Uh, it's been incredible. Uh, I, I get to call one of the greatest cities in North America home for the regular season. And, you know, this job different than other jobs that I've had where I've had to completely relocate. Um, this has afforded an opportunity to make some life decisions on where to live. And we decided that we're going to move to Florida and spend the off season in the backyard where the Blue Jays have spring training in Dunedin because it affords us, you know, to be at a home base for an extra six or seven weeks, you know, in Dunedin when spring training gets cranked up. And then we get the benefit of the best weather here in Toronto once the summer and baseball season rolls around. So, um, you know, that, that's just one of the things that becomes an advantage. Uh, working with a major league opportunity um, is an incredible experience. It is, I really feel, uh, I always have felt this way for the longest time that I work in the playground of life. I, I feel just incredibly fortunate to have the best job in the, on the planet. The best job in sports is working with a major league team and being around a clubhouse, the guys, day in and day out. And, uh, you know, for me, for me, I relish that opportunity and have an opportunity to do that. Even before you talk about big calls, big moments, or uh, a blossoming roster that should provide, you know, staples and cornerstones of a franchise for the next decade coming up. And I'm part of this kind of turn the page in Blue Jay history. I'm just, there's so much to be excited about in and around this job and the travel and the opportunities that it gives me just for fulfillment as an individual, let alone, uh, you know, from a professional standpoint. Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, I, I guess my next question would be like, with the, the restart coming up, like, what do you, what are your expectations personally for the Blue Jays this year? Like, what do you think their next step is? Like, can they make the playoffs this year? Or are they like, like, how do you think the season will go for them? You know, I think for the Blue Jays, their number one obstacle is who they have to play. Now, every team can say that, but look where the Blue Jays are in position against the divisions that they're playing with the restructured schedules. You've got a National League East that's incredibly tough. It's got a defending World Series champion that feels really good about their, their chances coming back onto the field of play. You play them a lot early on in the schedule. You've got to go through the Philadelphia Phillies. You've got to go through the Atlanta Braves. You've got to go through the New York Mets who feel really confident about where their lineup is and where their pitching staff is lined up. Uh, and you haven't even gotten to the beast of the East in the American League where the Yankees are going to be a contender with that lineup and just unbelievable. Uh, you know, they've had their setbacks in pitching, sure, but the Yankees see, still always seem to find a way. And then – a runaway, and I honestly, I'm picking them to win the division, Tampa Bay Rays. That pitching staff is nasty. Not only good, they are nasty. And that lineup has produced, and they grind out games. Um, you know, so now we're talking about five or six teams that the Blue Jays have to keep pace with, let alone beat when they go head-to-head. -head. Um, you know, so you look at it, I think the Blue Jays, Blue Jays successful of a great season, this next step up, in, in terms of competitiveness and taking that next step as a franchise for me would be finishing, you know, four or five games above the 500 mark. I think that's a huge win if they can stay healthy, if they don't have major setbacks and things. So uh, we're all headed in the right direction with this thing. Uh, it's going to be incredibly competitive. I don't care how you look at it. this. This 60 game pocket will be incredibly competitive. It'll be a win sprint to the finish 
And uh, it, it definitely has an opportunity to have extremes. Losing streaks can sink you. A winning streak can propel you right back into everything. Yeah, yeah with the season, it's going to be it's going to be crazy with everything different. The yeah. players, like literally everything. How is that going to affect you broadcasting-wise? Is that going to change anything with how you guys work? Yeah, you know, uh, our job has changed within the last just couple of days, too. Um, you, know, you know, with the border restrictions, uh, Canada has its own own set of policies and procedures much different than any state, let alone the United States overall. And one thing that I give the, the Canadian government credit, both at the local and the federal level, they have taken the best and most aggressive steps to temper the coronavirus and its spread among its people. And they're not messing around. Uh, Toronto is a completely different environment than any place that I've traveled through already, you know, over the last couple of months, especially where I came from in Florida with one of the more aggressive rollout plans. And ultimately with the cross-border travel, that closed down teams coming to Toronto. So that means I didn't have an opportunity this season to watch 30 games in front of me. So that means all my broadcast work will be done from Toronto in a studio setting, wire to wire. Um, other broadcasters will dabble in travel and other broadcasters will go to a ballpark and see half their schedule live. Um, or some of the broadcasters are gonna do it like we're gonna do it, wire to wire off the monitor. So this is an extreme adjustment. Um, one that I will not use as an excuse, I'm just gonna figure out how to do it and, and uh, try to make it as seamless as possible, whether or not you're listening on your patio here in Liberty Village, or you're riding a John Deere out in the plains of British Columbia. Yeah, I think, especially with the, yeah, the, the stadium, not, they're not being able to play. I think that, especially for you, I mean, you got to have the, the hardest possible. It's already hard for all the other broadcasters, but I think for you, it's just, I, it, it, to not have a single game in front of you, that must be, I mean, something you, you can't predict, you know? Yeah, you know, I love going to the ballpark. My day gets a lot brighter, bigger smiles, a pep in my step, however you want to slice it, you know, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon when it's time to go to the ballpark. I love going down to the ballpark, um, you know, being around the cage, being around. Again, it goes back to the relationships is a major step in the right direction to do your job, no matter what the job is. Uh, but that, that – is such a filling part of my day. And then, you know, flipping the switch and getting a chance to broadcast games on the radio. It, it sure is. That's, it's crazy. I, I'm not sure you're going to do it, but you're going to be great. It's, I can't even, go. <laughs> I can't even think about it. Like it's, it's going to be so hard, but it's great that you're going to figure it out. You know, it, but uh, I've, I've heard guys say it's hard. I'm, I'm, I'm always a half full guy first and foremost, and I'll paint unicorns and rainbows and sunshine. I'm good with that. Um, there have been guys that I've, that I've known along the way that have already been asked to do exactly this. You know, I've got friends that work at the big 10 network, uh, that work at ESPN and not only have they been asked to do games remotely or Remy broadcast, you know, they've been asked to do pretty significant games. I've got a buddy that was asked to call a bowl game college football bowl game from a studio in Bristol on ESPN radio, you know, so I'm tapping into those resources and saying what worked well for you in this situation. I've got another friend in Mike Monaco who has an incredibly blossoming career right now on a number of different fronts. He has done college baseball for the big 10 network and college 
softball for the BTN on monitors. He's done it in a truck. He's done it in a studio, you know, with, with other resources. And I, I say, um, you know, give me your cheat sheet. Tell me how you do this and what went well, what didn't work. And, and uh, I'm trying to take away as many obstacles as I can. So uh, our broadcast worked as fluidly as possible. Yeah, no, I'm sure, it, I'm sure it's going to get resolved, but it'll probably, I'm sure it'll take a little, a little getting used to it to start, but sure. that's, that's just how the world is right now, I guess. I guess kind of to wrap up to uh, the whole podcast, just some general advice kind of connecting everything. If you had to give like one piece of advice to like young broadcasters like us to get a head start in the industry, what would you say is maybe the most important thing to do like right now? Right now, uh, try to do as much as possible and get as well-rounded of an experience as you can. Um, I, you know, I've, I'll reference one experience that was completely life-changing and how I approached doing my own broadcast and setting up equipment and, and doing things is one, have willingness to do a lot of different things um, because you may take value from that project or obstacle or, oh no, what are we going to do? All hands on deck moment. And uh, I got an opportunity to work for ABC News my junior summer in college, sophomore or junior summer. And the ABC News and a lot of the news agents in Terre Haute, Indiana, because there's a federal prison there. And it was the execution of Timothy McVeigh, who's known as the Oklahoma City bomber. Uh, they recruited a lot of college kids to basically be labor and, and grunts and runners and help with tear down and set up. And I got a really good appreciation with that experience in understanding that it's such a massive project to put on a broadcast, whether you're doing college radio, high school game, or you're trying to take ABC news from a field in Indiana out to New York city and then pump it across to every affiliate on every network on ABC News that night. It's, it gave me a really big appreciation to forward thinking, coming up with creativity. Um, and that kind of process helped me do different things in my broadcast in Lakewood. And that then said, um, here's what I need to do this, that, and the other uh, to, you know, to do things differently in our broadcast and take it this next level in Buffalo. So that opportunity of doing extra things and things that just aren't, aren't necessarily um, calling game-winning shots or walk-off home runs, you know, they add value to it. So you got to learn by doing that way. You have to listen to your own broadcasts and, and with a constructive ear say, I like how I sounded there. This was good. This wasn't good. And offer that for constructive criticism to people that you connect with. Um, there, are, there are broadcasters out there that like a particular style. Um, maybe they like the person, but they don't like the particular style of broadcaster. So you can talk to those people and have, uh, or steal an idea about their process and how they find, you know, resources or, or things along the way. Um, you know, those are really, really important, important steps, especially for young broadcasters. And, and you have to be okay with, with some failure. And for me, my, I felt my greatest failures were failing to win jobs that I wanted or I thought were logical steps in my next career. And some of them really hurt more than others. Some of them were paralyzing, you know, for pockets of time in my life. Um, you have to, you have to be able to get past that and understand that it's going to, it's definitely going to come. 
It's, it's definitely going to come. You just have to dedicate yourself to the process and, and continue to get better on the air each and every day. Yeah, we learned something similar. I'm not sure if you know of him, but um, we attended the Bruce Beck uh, broadcasting camp. He's like a local broadcaster around here. And I, what I took away from that, I really liked, you can't learn if you don't make mistakes. So it's, I like uh, the reassurance of that, that yeah, that worked. You're, you're going to grow as people. You're definitely going to grow as a broadcaster. Um, yeah. You know, I, I can, t I really think I grow every time I'm on the air. I grow every season. Um, do I grow, you know, the way that I describe a fastball? I'm not sure, but I, I, have, a, I have a growth in my process and my preparation and how I relate to other people, how I relate to the listeners. Um, we're all going to do that. And yes, you have to have that growth in your own career too. And it's going to happen with just nature. Um, you know, the, the only thing that's not growing is my hair these days. Uh, you know, it, it's just, that's effective life. So harness that good head of hair that you both have and get on TV. All right. <laughs> um, but you know, I mean, that, that's, I know Bruce Beck, I know Dave Popkin, you know, the, the guys that, you know, are working behind the scenes and they put a, they put together an incredible uh, workshop for, for you guys. And obviously they have transitioned and, and done a couple of things to make it as beneficial as they can for you and young broadcasters that are out there. Cause it's an awesome, awesome business to be a part of. Thank you so much, Ben. This was a blast to have you on here. You're welcome, Mac Griff. Thanks for having me. Appreciate Thank it. you everyone for watching this episode of outside the arena with Mac and Griff. Stay safe, everyone. And we'll be sure to drag another person outside the arena next week.